And so she runs into my office one day and she says, Al, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? She goes, so um, this is a reporter her name is Margot Adler. Margot Adler from NPR wants to do something on the books. She's Wiccan. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she studies witchcraft. Like, she's a witch. And, like, she has... I'm like... Like it's not like we it's not like we have like the find a witch in the media campaign, right? It's like like so, it wasn't a directive that was, came down not, in the publicity strategy. It was like find witches. Hey, hey, Brian Miller here, and welcome back to One New Person, the show where we take a closer look at chance encounters to remind ourselves that every interaction is meaningful and every person we meet is important. Today's guest is Alan Samuel Cohen. Alan is an executive coach and author of the book, The Connection Challenge, How Executives Create Power and Possibility in the Age of Distraction. But in the late 90s, he was the director of marketing at Scholastic, where he and his small team were tasked with the awesome responsibility of turning a first-time author's quirky novel about a boy wizard into a global phenomenon. And that's precisely what they did. I was introduced to Alan through our mutual friend, Tim David, my guest on the most recent episode of this podcast, and quickly discovered we were kindred spirits. Alan and I chat about imposter syndrome and the surprising way jealousy can actually be a force for positive change, the primary function of a leader and how to bring out a team's best qualities, and Alan shares multiple stories of chance encounters with lasting impact, including plenty of good stuff from the early days with J.K. Rowling. Subscribe to the podcast via your favorite streaming service at onenewperson.com. And if you find the show valuable, we really appreciate a quick review and rating on iTunes. It, it genuinely helps. Remember to share this or any episode with your friends and colleagues on social media and use the hashtag onenewperson all spelled out so we can find you and thank you. Now, please enjoy this conversation with Alan Samuel Cohen. So I would love to talk about your book, but I, I'm more interested in talking about how, like, what led to the book and the ideas mm -hmm. in the book and your career revolving around the book. So let me back a million steps up because we were in like full conversational swing when this <laughs> thing was already recording. Um, so let me first just say, Alan, thank you for taking a train in from New York today. This is fantastic because uh, to set the context for the listeners, we are at one of my VIP clients. It's a college on uh, Long Island, Malloy College. And they've had me a bunch of times as a magician, as a speaker. And I'm here to do another event for them tonight in about five or six hours. And they were so gracious to uh, give me a room in the middle of their insane orientation season when I told them who was coming and the reason that I wanted it, and I gave them a one-sentence background of who you were, and they were like, what can we do to help? So why don't you give me your background? Or if you want to start, let's start with maybe the most pressing question, which is when you're at a cocktail hour or social gathering these days and someone asks you that painful question, what do you do? How do you answer? So... So I do a few things. 
but, but primarily I'm an executive coach and I work with leaders within organizations and teams, helping them be more connected around their, their vision and around their values and, and whatever their business goals are. And, um, and I've been doing that for, I guess, about 12 years now, 12 years. And, um, and I also do a lot of public speaking and um, I'm an author like you and um, th- yeah, love, I, I have a great, a, a great life because I get to work with whom I want to work with when I want to work with them. Executive coach. So th- th- this is a term that I know because of my world, but I'm guessing a lot of people have never really heard it. So you work with leaders, you work with teams. Can you, can you expand on that a little bit for us? Really? I mean, what is an executive coach? What, like, what's your primary function? What do you do? Sure. So, so, most simply said, executive coaches help you get from where you are to where it is that you want to go. So it may be different things for different people. I work a lot with leaders, for instance, who want to have greater executive presence. So helping them be more confident in the boardroom or or to, to have more um, powerful presentations or, um, or, or to lead, lead teams and, and motivate teams better. So that so that's on the leadership level. Um, it's a little bit like a little bit like therapy. And I was just going to say because yeah. my wife is a therapist, okay. and 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 some of my friends are consultants, and I do a little bit of coaching here and there. I don't promote it much, but I do it when it, when I already met somebody and they want me to, or it makes sense. Um, it sounds like you're halfway between like a almost like a, a speaking coach and a therapist that you've got kind of these two sides of it, <laughs> mindset and also like presence uh, yeah, in front of a group. A- absolutely. And, and I think that it's great that you, you bring out that distinction. So therapists and therapists will argue this, right. um, that th- generally f- focus more on getting you from sort of a dysfunctional to a functional state. Mm-hmm. And it, it tends to be a little more focused on past experience and and what got you yeah. to where you are today and what you want to change whereas coaches we care about we care about kind of your belief system and and the context that you operate from but we're more interested in where you are today where do you want to go and what stands in the way of those things okay yeah that and that 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 makes sense to me i mean there's obviously some overlap but i think i think that's a that's a, a good way to think about it for 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 sure that sounds that sounds right because I, in my experience, doing a little bit of coaching here and there, um, what people have gone through before is less relevant than you think it is when it comes to business and career goals. Not when it comes to your personal life at home and the relationship with your spouse or your kids. Yeah. Past experiences really shape that, but sometimes the past experiences from I feel like in the career world, you have to be like. That's already happened. Right. Right. We're not dealing with that anymore. Right. Where do you want to be right. and how do we get you? We're there? not talking about what your mother did to you <laughs> or how crap your childhood right. was. Um, we want to look at from that, what beliefs did you create for yourself and what you want to let go of in order to move forward more yeah, powerful. It's a lot about clearing, clear, right, clearing the barriers out of the way. Yeah. Um, what, limiting beliefs, right? They limiting call that beliefs, the, the, the term you use false a lot, assumptions, right? interpretations, um, the the gremlin or the the saboteur, yeah. right? The itty shitty yeah. committee, the uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the the imposter syndrome, all of that stuff is plays out a lot in corporate too, just as it does in in real life. 
the imposter syndrome, man. That's that's. I was just talking to somebody about that the other day. That's the thing that when I was younger and I heard that, I thought, well, what nonsense. Just get over <laughs> yourself. And then you, re- I, 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 then when I started my career as a magician, I really. The first year, I had nothing but confidence. And looking back, you realize it wasn't confidence. It was actually arrogance. <laughs> I wasn't confident. I was masking right. it. And then once I got a little bit of success, then I lost my confidence because I realized how much I didn't know. Once you oh. start getting a little bit of success, you're like, oh, now I know how not good I actually am. <laughs> you got humble. <laughs> yeah. And then I had the imposter syndrome hard, and I thought it would go away as I got more successful and my in my experience and many folks I talk to, imposter syndrome gets worse as you get more mm. successful and keep climbing the ladder is, you know, is that is that what you see? I, I see it at every different juncture in a person's career. I've seen some some very, very senior level executives who when in sessions they share what's going on in their heads and it's like the house of falling cards. Like they're just they're just waiting to be found out. Yeah, um, yeah. But and I do think that. But I think to your point, I think when you start playing in a bigger arena, also you start dealing with some really, really badass people yeah. who are probably have their own imposter syndrome, but they're not showing it. And so you're in that compare and despair kind of mind frame where you're. It's like I'm never as good as I am. I'm never going to be where that guy is or where that guy is. And so that that realization hit me really hard over the last couple of years, really in the few years since the uh, the TEDx talk for me went went viral and, and people kind of, it gave me instant expert status. Mm. And I wasn't an expert when I gave that talk. I had exactly 14 minutes and 11 seconds <laughs> to say about that topic right. at the time I gave it. Right. You know, and then, you know, you've, I've spent all the years since immersed in that world yeah. and that's how you become an expert is by right. just like massively specializing 100% on one tiny little niche area, which is what I've spent the last four years doing. But but I still don't feel like an expert, but I feel less like an imposter about that than I did when it first happened. But what I realized was people would reach out to me, people who in my head were all the way up here. They were way ahead of where I wanted to be. And I looked at them like heroes and experts and legends. And they were reaching out to me going, man, how have you been so successful so quickly doing this? What's your secret? And I was like, what? I don't know anything. And I realized, oh, everybody's got it. Yeah. Everybody thinks everyone else is doing it better than they are. Right. Like, truthfully, I don't know too many people who post what's really going on in their lives. I mean, it's all sort of a per- it's performance art. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the story I'm te- going to tell you about what's happening, but I'm leaving out all of the the pain and the struggle. So you're you're just constantly people are just constantly broadcasting their their fabulous life or the life that they want you to see, but not necessarily the life that they're really they're really living. And I, I don't want to make that generalization, but I think, no, that's, I think that's true. Like if I look at my feed, you know, it's not like people are posting like, I mean, they're posting after they've kind of processed through it. They're like, some of it is tongue in cheek, like, you know, the shitty traffic jam I was in and what I, what I learned from it or something funny, but, but they're not like in the pain of the moment because I don't want to be posting about that stuff. But the, but as a result, you're just seeing people's highlight reel. You're not seeing their behind the scenes. I, I do think that's true. I mean, if I, when I occasionally go even look at my own feed and I look at it and go, 
well, that guy's a rock star. You know, <laughs> like, but I know what I'm dealing with on a day-to-day right. basis. And like, I'm not posting about how this event I spent four months in negotiation right. with fell through at the last but, moment. Uh, you know, I don't well, post about that stuff. Well, yesterday I posted something. In hindsight, it was sort of a stupid thing to post because you can see how people would think it's like arrogant. But I was like, three speaking requests in the same day. Like, that is so unfair. But the the context was because... 200 other days out of the year, there's nothing. So it's right. like, why are they? But, but everybody's like, good problem to have. Like, uh, right? right? That, that kills me. That, I, I, that, that's probably one of my least favorite expressions. Well, that's a good problem to have. And you're like, no, no problems are good to have. You, you, just, you just decide what you, like, you know, everything's relative. And the same thing, you know, and, that, that's a, and speaking is a feast or famine kind of industry, right, like right. we both know. Right. And it happened as a magician, too. I remember when I was a struggling magician, when I was making no, I, could, I couldn't even afford to feed myself, let alone anything else, let alone go on a date. I mean, it was a nightmare. And, and that stuff keeps me a little humble because I vividly remember that. It wasn't that long yep. ago in the grand scheme of things. Yep. And I remember... My calendar would be empty for two months. I'd have zero income for two months. And then I'd get three calls for six o'clock on September the 27th. And you're just like, WTF. man, <laughs> you could have each been on a different weekend. I'd have, I could have three times the income. And it wasn't like I was living the high life. I needed that money right. desperately. I didn't have anything <laughs> else going everybody on. Everybody was like, ooh, share the wealth, brother. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want like, you to refer them off to me. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, you mean absolutely. the you, the guy that I hear from once a year on social media that has no relationship with Right, me. he just wants to kind of <laughs> yeah. make fun of my problem. You, yeah, just to send it over my way. I was like, no, I... I do send stuff to people, but I send stuff to people I have deep, meaningful relationships right. with and I trust, not right. just because you commented on my Instagram but, uh, post. But you have to you have to admit there's something kind of comical about social media because oh, yeah. it's everybody just kind of, as I said earlier, like compare and despair. It, it's, yeah. it's um, you know, how happy... Like, I'm happy when my friends are successful. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I'm just jealous. <laughs> like, I'll just admit I, it, right? I feel like there's so many people that are unwilling to to admit that they're really honest with themselves. And people are like, I'm just so happy that everybody. It's like, listen, you can be happy and jealous at the same time. Yep. I am thrilled that my friends were successful, and I don't want my friends or colleagues to not be successful. Right. But sometimes I see what one of my friends or colleagues is doing, especially someone I started off with, like same age, same area, and I see them doing a thing that I would like to be doing and thought I'd be doing by right. now, and I go. I don't want to take it away from them. I just thought I would be able to be doing that also. Right. 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 And I think that's the. But I think. Well, I think jealousy is an jealousy is an interesting topic because you can see it as just the sort of base, like seven deadly sins, kind of gross emotion, or you can you can see it as like, well, I'm I'm not I'm only jealous of people who are doing things that either I think I could be doing, um, or aspire to do, or. So it's not like I'm je- I'm not jealous of like somebody being in the White House because that's the last job I would ever want, right? But I, you know, I'm jealous of so so having jealousy be more like a prompt or a signal to say like, hey, what is it that I think I could be doing, or what do I want to try differently? Um, it it's it, it's it's a useful emotion. I I feel the same way about it. There's a lot of the best career moves I've ever made have come out of me uh, out of what you might consider jealousy from like you know behind the scene. You know, if you were just looking at it from afar, like like I saw something that one of my you know friends or somebody I know or a colleague of mine is doing, and I was like, man, I wish I was doing that. And then I go, all right, how would I get there? 
And sometimes the next phone call I make is to that person. I go, how did you get there? You know, I'd like to be doing that. And you know what happens on those calls is they tell me how they got there and they go, wait, but I want to be doing those things that you, I see you doing all the time. <laughs> right. How do I get there? Right. And, and, and so I, you know, I, I think that's the stuff you don't see when you just see the post right. and you don't pick up the phone right. and have that conversation. And we're both, as both students and teachers of connection, and that I think it's so important to, to recognize that we're so much more alike than, we're, we're, than dislike and, and to than unlike. <laughs> and, and so like that feeling that you're having about not being good enough or never being able to do X or Y, like the more you can acknowledge that somebody else that you're dealing with probably feels the same way about you or about other people, it just, it, it does draw you in. It's, I think separation happens when you think you're the only person who is having that thought or that experience, and that's what keeps us feeling isolated and disconnected. I I, I think that's absolutely true, and I I, I want to um, I, I want to take that kind of what this this road we've been on here, and and kind of move around your your book. Um, your book it's here in the room somewhere, right? Oh, it's right here. Here it is. We can show it on camera if we want to. Look at look at that. Just in case uh, anybody's ever watching the. Um, Watching this, yeah, I, I it was so crazy. I was an hour into my drive today, and I realized I have my copy of your book with all my notes <laughs> and all my thing, and it's just it's sitting in my office at home. And I um, don't know why I brought it this morning to my networking meeting. I it's like I knew you already had a copy, and I just but something just told me I should bring a copy of I, my book today. I'm so glad you did. Uh, I yeah, the connection challenge: uh, how executives create power and possibility in the age of distraction. So, can you? Talk about who is this book for and why did you write it? Great, great question. So so I, I wrote this book for executives and corporations or, uh, or in nonprofits and, and for their teams. And for me, I felt like it was an important book to write, especially in this time and age where we are so distracted that, um, that, uh, that connecting is not as easy as perhaps it once was. And, um, and so it's really a, a, a handbook for those executives who don't have a lot of time to read a long book. Um, my publisher cut it down by about 50% because they said that your audience does not have time to read a book that they can't complete in an hour and a half or two hour plane ride. So, so I cut it. Um, for, for me, the, the, the impetus for the book, and it's my second book. The, the first book I wrote was on difficult conversations as a means to create greater connection. So stepping into I, I didn't difficult conversations. I'm going to have to, so, have to look at that. I've, I've been looking into, um, uh, do you know, Celeste uh, uh, Headley, uh, she gave a really popular TED Talk. It's all about uh, kind of conversations that matter, how to have better uh-huh. conversations. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it sounds yeah. Like that. I'm surprised I haven't read her book because yeah. I read it. I think it just I, came out last year. Okay, because I read all the crucial conversations and fierce yeah. conversations. And I think she was a, she was a, a radio talk show host for a lot. I think that's her background before her TED talk, and now she's a speaker and right like TED does that to people. But yeah, so oh, sorry, I've, I, well, so I've always been interested in 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 how we connect, how we disconnect, how conversation. As a, I was a communications person for many years, so so interested in the and and where the. Um, connect and connection point is between communication and 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 how we connect. Um, so so I was just drawn to the subject, and I I think also because I've 
I've always been a very extroverted person since I was a kid. I, I'm fascinated by why it's why it's easy for some people and it's more difficult for other people. I I know what you're. I think I know what you're about to say. <laughs> but I've also noticed that for me, where it used to be so easy to connect, because I felt like people had more time and were a little more patient to lean into conversations. I I feel I feel like it's a little more challenging, even for an extrovert like myself, because people there's like an efficiency. Like people will just like sort of cut you off because they're. 500 other people that they need to be talking to. So we've lost a little bit of that high touch, leaning into those conversations. Yeah. I'm so interested that you brought up extrovert because I talk about introverts in my mm-hmm. book. And I identify as an extrovert. Uh, as an adult, as a kid, I had a, just a debilitating speech anxiety. And that's part of my story. Magic is what you know gave me yeah. a chance at life, yeah. You know, broke me out of that. But, but identifying as an extrovert, I always thought, that's why it's so easy for me to talk to people. And of course it is, but what I realized at some point was it's easy, easier for extroverts to talk to people, but I don't know if it's easier for them to connect with people because extroverts get excited running off on their own thing right. and cutting people off and interrupting them, not to be rude, not on purpose, but because they get excited and they have more to say, whereas introverts have more trouble, it seems, starting conversations but they connect better with people because they listen so well, and people yeah. feel. Do you, do you do you feel no, that? No, I think that I think that's a really good point. So my my spouse is, um, he's probably like I guess you would say maybe he's like an extroverted introvert, or he sort of forces himself to be. Yeah, Susan Cain is a term. Is it ambivert? Is it that what they're be. calling that it now? Could, but yeah. he definitely is more. It, given his his druthers, he'd rather be having conversation like this than, than a room with a lot of other people. And, and so often, like friends of mine will meet, meet him and they'll be like, he is the most interesting, interesting guy. And I'll ask him, like, so what did you talk about? And he's like, well, I basically just asked them a lot of questions about themselves. And, um, so, yeah. But he will always be the most interesting person in the room because he's the most interested. A, oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> He'll be the most, yeah, exactly. Because you ask those people to tell you about him and they probably couldn't think they think they feel like he was so interesting because they got to spend the whole time talking about themselves with someone who was genuinely interested not with someone who was just trying to go down their checklist at a networking event um i wanted to ask you in in the the connection challenge uh you talk about uh, a statement of purpose and i like i like that phrase can you can you dig into that a little bit sure well i think that there being different pillars. So so it's how we connect with ourselves, how we connect with others. And then the, the third pillar is really how we connect to something that's greater than ourselves and greater than than that other person. So when when all of those pillars are are in place, then then you actually feel an absolute sense of connection. And and so so our so we'll get purpose-driven companies and purpose-driven individuals. They're connected to something that's more of the greater good than, than anything that's ego-driven or self-serving. And so, so I, I never look at connection purely through that, like, how am I connecting to you? I'm, I'm also interested in what are you connected to? And then what is that thing that we're, that we're, all, that we're all connected to that's greater than either, either me or you? 
so what we haven't talked about yet is uh, how you ended up becoming an executive coach and kind of how you got here in the first place. Because now the folks listening to this will have heard in my intro for the podcast, which I record after the fact, they will have already heard the 10-second version of what you've done and where you came from. But do you want to give us uh, give us the background here? Sure, sure. So, so 20 years ago, I was a 36-year-old uh, public relations director for a media, a children's media company in Manhattan. And, and as part of my job, I was responsible for promoting anywhere from 500 to 600 children's books, pop-up books, coloring books, novels, um, all for, for kids. And, um, but, but I was given a book um, that was a very, a very big success in the UK. Um, and was told in no uncertain terms by my our, my publisher that my small ragtag little publicity team was responsible for turning it into a multi-million dollar brand. And that book was Harry Potter. So I was the the very first person in North America to actually really touched the books from a publicity perspective. So I actually remember being handed the manuscript um, because it had to be Americanized. It, it was it was only it had only been in the UK. It was still the Philosopher's Stone. It was right? still the Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> so it was rewritten as the Sorcerer's Stone. They took out all of the English kinds of language, um, the British the British isms. And I remember just staying up all night reading the book and saying this is this thing's gonna be freaking huge. So where I was kind of skeptical when I was told that what I was gonna have to do. What was it about it that that got you so excited? Just yeah. So you know, it's pretty funny as a, as as the publicity director at a children's book company. Like I never read any of the books, like except for like the you know the picture books because those were easy to get through. Um, but occasionally one would stand out. So I read I I read the book because I was told that I had to, and because I was gonna ha- it was gonna have to be be huge. But I what stood out to me is that it just it really it brought me back to a lot of those books that I loved so much as a kid, as a young boy, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, The Phantom Tollbooth. So it really connected me to the magic of possibility. And I will, I'll also say on a more personal level, and I think it's why it, it the books re, um, re, resonate so well with, with so many audiences is, you know, I, I, I was, I, I could relate to the character of Harry Potter as feeling like an outsider. And even though I was not abused by by my parents or step parents, or um, I don't have step parents, I wasn't abused by my parents. I didn't live under the stairs. I I, I knew that I could associate with that feeling of being different um, as a gay kid, as a um, you know, just just always knowing that there was something different about me. And I and so I really I really related to Harry Potter, and the, and the books are just amazing. I mean, what J.K. Rowling did to create this world. Um, is just is just beyond anyone's imagination. And I know you got a lot more to the story, but I, I just got to <laughs> jump in because I mean, obviously, this is the reason you you know I wanted to have this conversation. I mean, we have so much in common with everything else, but but you know, I, I was the Harry Potter generation, so the yeah. book was designed when it for, the first one was for ten year olds. Right. right, I was ten when the first book right. came out. I literally grew up yeah. with the characters. I was that 
you know, that famous group yeah. that came up with them. And so, yeah. like, you know, in a really big way, like, the work that you did and the fact that we're connected all these years later in a totally That's random crazy. circumstance is such a crazy thing. It was, like, yeah. such a huge part of my So you're my cousin. So my, con- my cousin, who's maybe listening, Benny Goodman, named after the musician, is your age. And, and, and I took him to meet J.K. Rowling at one of those book signings because he was nine and Harry Potter was nine. And, like, I've done many wonderful things in my life, but that is the one thing that my young Benny Goodman cousin remembers. Sure. It's like that, just, that was like a, a huge life-altering moment for him. It's incredible. Yeah, really, really cool. So what what was the actual, what was going through your head? What was the campaign like? How, how did you figure out how do we take, you know, like you said, it was a ragtag team. It was just you and a couple of people, right? Yeah, it was. A, the, I think the publicity department was only five people or six people. We weren't all, and that wasn't the only thing that we were working on. Um, but but uh, but I, I, if, if, if you want me to segue into the story about the sure. sort of the one person. Yeah, please it, do. So years ago, um, probably 25 years ago, maybe, um, this, I was working for at a PR agency and my boss brought this young woman in. Her name is Chris. And, and um, I was told to interview her to, for an assistant position. And Chris... Nice, you know, Connecticut, preppy young lady with no publicity experience whatsoever. And I, I, I knew that I had to hire her because my boss pretty much had already made up her mind. And, um, and I hired her. And Chris turned out to be one of the hardest working, most loyal, wonderful people that I've ever had in my employ. And fast forward, years later, I, I was at Scholastic, and I, and, uh, and I was told that I needed to hire an assistant director. And so I, I called um, my old employer and, and uh, place of employ, and, um, and I hired Chris away, and I brought her over. And Chris, you know, people will often give me credit for the work that, uh, that the publicity department did on the Harry Potter books, but Chris Moran... Um, is the reason why so many millions of people learned about Harry Potter. Her amazing love of the books, her commitment to it, her passion for it, um, her relationship with J.K. Rowling was, uh, I mean, is far beyond anything that I, I had or could have imagined. Today, Chris actually runs the publicity for J.K. Rowling's foundation in the U.S., and she says that that experience changed her life. So, and, and what I would also say is that, you know, how you have to kind of, like as leaders, you really need to see, see the magic that people have within them. She, she lacked confidence, but, she, but what she had was passion and commitment. And if I had just only seen the lack of confidence, I wouldn't have given her all of that exposure. Because even my bosses at Scholastic were like, well, you're your director of publicity, you need to be like the the star of the show. You need to be in front of it all. And I was like, well, m- maybe, right? But you've got I've got somebody on my team who is so connected to these books in a way that I will never be. Why would we not want to give her the runway? And she did, and she did an amazing job. So that like that chance meeting, that like that interview where I was sort of like, yeah, she's all right. <laughs> Let's hire her, you it's know? It's just so crazy how things that you could never imagine, the ripple, you know, you can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? That's it's, my favorite expression. Right? That's and, my uh, favorite expression. 
it's that's that's amazing. So yeah, so she's still. I was going to ask, but you already said yeah. She's still involved with. Uh, she's still friendly with her very, friends with very, JK. In fact, I think in book four, um, she's in the book. So so I think she's a Quidditch player. Um, Moran, 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 I think was named after her, which is so great. But I want, I want to tell you one other story because it's also do. a great story about like one, you know, one person. One. So we were, we could not get arrested trying to get publicity for that book in the, in the first book in the beginning. Nobody knew. I mean, a few like independent booksellers, children's booksellers in the U.S. knew about the books, but the U.S. audience didn't know. And so the media were very slow to take a, take it on. But we knew that, so back then, National Public Radio, if you got featured on National Public Radio, it would be the, the, the catalyst for all this other great publicity. And so Chris was like doggedly calling all of the media and just like anybody, like, you know, getting hung up on by Oprah. Nobody wanted it. <laughs> and, um, and so she runs into my office one day and she says, Al, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? She goes, so um, this is a reporter name is Margot Adler. Margot Adler from NPR wants to do something on the books. She's Wiccan. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she studies witchcraft. Like, she's a witch. And, like, she has... I'm like... Like it's not like we it's not like we have like the find a witch in the media campaign, right? It's like like so it wasn't a directive that was, came down in the publicity strategy. It was like find witches and who are reporters, but it, like she, she connected so well with the book, and so from there, so like NPR did that that I guess on weekend edition or morning edition, I can't remember which did a feature on it, and then like and then it started to. I wouldn't say snowball, but people started paying attention. And then from there, it started to build and build and build. Yeah, because the the build really came to a head right around the third book, didn't it? Yeah. Because it, I think I most people I know, when they, they the first one they read was the second one. Mm-hmm. In terms of when I just like talk to people. Right. So I feel like, so I think what's maybe important to underscore here is all the chance encounters and all the luck and all the success, it still took a while to catch on. And uh, if our audience is listening right now, they might be able to hear that there was a lot of commotion. We're, as they already know, we're in the middle of orientation season here on campus. It's exciting. It's the fact, it's a miracle that we've had it this quiet for so long. And let us applaud the six students sitting in the room with us who are silently minding their own business and just kind of perking up every so often like, what about Harry Potter? What about Harry Potter? (laughs) What's happening right now? So the, but the other thing too about that experience and a lot of the work that I do in corporate right now is helping teams right. be more connected to drive results. Like the, the cross-functional team, which was like director of marketing, operations, publishing stuff. Like we were a very small team too. It's not like we had huge resources. We had limited marketing budget. But I, I think that, you know, I, I created this acronym for, for teams called MAGIC using the Harry Potter theme and, and it's really about um, mastery so teams like working to get better at something all of the time accountability um, to themselves and to each other working toward the greater good and and so we were about trying to get kids to read trying to get boys in particular to read books to read novels not just series books um, introspection so having each person really look at um, what their own limiting beliefs or 
their ego, um, what they needed to let go of in order to ask for help, in order to to build trust. Um, what have I forgotten? C, C is courageous communication. Yeah. All right. Really like owning it when you screw up and knowing that there was that kind of safety among your team members to to say, hey, I like that didn't go as planned. What can we do now to so it was nobody would and I, I think that the the culture of our team changed a lot because of Harry Potter. Because I think prior to there was a lot of that kind of turf war, ego, throwing under the bus kinds of stuff, which is pretty typical in most corporations. But but the magic of Harry Potter was that that we all got we all became better people. And I also think some of that has to do with J.K. Rowling's inspiration because you you will rarely meet someone that rich <laughs> and that <laughs> successful who is as humble and as much of a servant leader, um, who is really about the customer, the readers in this case, the booksellers. I think it, it made us all better, better people, better publishing people and better human beings. That's great. That's, that's un, it's an unbelievable... Uh story and uh i and i uh, yeah i love the where it led you to leadership that's so because uh, I, I was originally going to ask you but i mean that, that that's kind of where it is right is yeah that, is that that experience you had seeing you said something just a while ago um about you had to see past the kind of the lack of confidence and one of the number one leadership traits, people think leaders are ones that are like, you know, you do this and you do this and you do this. And like, it's not, a, that's a boss, right? It's yeah. like leaders sometimes are the ones that get out of the way. That's sometimes the primary function, right? Get out of the way of people who are the best for the job. Yeah. Yeah. When I came from entertainment publicity where it's all the star system, like, you know, who gets the biggest coverage and, you know, running down the hall, like waving the New York Times because you got your client on the front page or or whatever. And and but the Harry Potter experience for me was a breakthrough in that, like, it's more about developing other people to to be the best that they can be. And that did actually I, 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 I kind of um, worked my way out of a job because I, I actually got promoted from publicity director to marketing director at Scholastic. And then I realized soon after that, uh, like, that was not what I was about. I was about developing talent. And so I moved into human resources from there. That, that they gave me, they, they said, you can go anywhere in the company. And I chose HR. And then ultimately, I left the company to, to pursue coaching. But the in a lot of ways, it's like when you've dealt with worked on publicity for a Harry Potter book, like what's left, <laughs> right? When you have like you know Time and Newsweek covers in the same week, you're kind of like I've done it. Um, yeah. But there's something so much more that those books taught me and that experience. It's fantastic. Yeah. The whole theme of the show is chance encounters, as you know, and we've been talking about this and dancing around it. And the topic that's on my mind a lot, which my listeners will know, I keep bringing up in conversations lately, is luck and the role of luck in success. Um, first, do you believe in luck? Huh, that's a great question. I, I've been thinking about this this all week, about uh, just this whole idea. I, I don't know if I... Yeah, it's a great question because I think that, you know, I was looking at a lot of like where I am today and then backing into it. 
And often you go back to the genealogy of your relationships, of like how you found, got a client, how you got this job or whatever. So often for me, it went all the way back to like to childhood, to like, you know, it was somebody that I was introduced to from my sister, by my sister, right. who introduced me to someone, to someone, to some. But so I didn't have choice and it wasn't luck to meet to meet that person. I was born into that family. Um, but it's, but it's, I think it's more for about choice. Like, did I choose to actually pursue that meeting or so, so that's was choose my, that door? My follow-up was going to be, yeah. which is, so I, I think most people would look at your situation. A lot of people look at it and go super lucky, right? What were the odds <laughs> that you were in that place right. and someone gave you that thing? And the right. Thing. But my question is, can you, do you believe that you can increase your own luck or increase your odds of being lucky? Right. Well, isn't, haven't you heard that expression about what, like luck is really that what is it preparation, preparation meets and opportunity. meets opportunity? But I I also think there's some there's another element there, and it's actually like like being awake and aware, because like if we're not paying attention, maybe that's the difference between people who are lucky and who aren't lucky. Like it's just actually like like an openness and awareness to like to see what's in front of you and to pursue it. Because I think you and I could have the same, we could both be lucky in that like both of us meet the same person at the same time, but which one of us is listening more closely for what that compelling need is of that person or, or, or connecting the dots in terms of what that person's about. To, and deciding to follow up and nurture a relationship. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think I, I like that what you said about being present. That's what I think all the time. Yeah. I'm thinking about can you increase your own luck? And I think, I think there's a variety of ways that you can or increase the chance of being lucky. But I think it's like if you ever have that moment where you get a number stuck in your head, like 17, and then suddenly you see 17 everywhere, right? Because you're thinking about that number. Once you start looking for lucky opportunities, I feel like you start seeing them all over the place. The question is, what are you going to do yeah. about it, right? Well, as you were talking, I was thinking about something, even another, maybe this is another sort of, um, what do you call it? Tangent. <laughs> tangent. I was like, tentacle. Tangent. <laughs> could be, tangent. Could be. But like, you know, so so we didn't really get into it, you know, but sort of my, you know, my earlier days, I was pretty, pretty wild child, you oh, know, yeah. in terms of drugs and alcohol and all of that. Podcast part stuff. two sometimes. Podcast part two. Yeah, that's quite a story there. Um, and I dodged a lot of bullets, right? Like yeah. I was never incarcerated. I was never institutionalized. Um, I didn't, my marriage didn't break up. Now, a lot of people would say, like, you are really lucky. You are really lucky that you didn't crash your car. You're really lucky. Yeah. All of that stuff is is true. But I, but I also think that in some ways, and this is more of a spiritual take on it, is that it was just not like, like I'm here, there was something else for me to do. Mm. So it wasn't so much luck, it was more like, it's like living your purpose, or there was just something, there's something else that that my higher power wanted for me, and it wasn't, it wasn't to um, speed off the road. Yeah. So. Well, I, for one, am glad you didn't, and uh, <laughs> I'm... I'm uh, Grateful on behalf of, and I think, an entire generation that we uh, had you sitting in the right office at the right time uh, for this wonderful uh, magic world of Harry Potter that you know changed everything, and uh, for the work you're doing with you know leadership and 
all the coaching and consulting, all that stuff. But uh, how cool that we met so randomly. <laughs> Thank you so much. Randomly on a uh, on an a v- online video call-in mastermind group put together by just someone we both happened to just have mutual mutual acquaintance it was, with. It so. was cool. Uh, so there, Tim, uh, who, or, who uh, runs our, our group, was talking about how like everybody in the group is a magician except <laughs> me, but because I worked on Harry Potter, I, I have like, you know, honorary magician, honorary status. magician <laughs> status. So, yeah. Uh, where would you like people to go find you? Awesome. So, so there are lots of like free, free bonus materials on my website at alansamuelcohen.com, including free chapters of my book, The Connection Challenge, and soon we'll have a, a magic uh, handout. So oh, great. you can see more about um, magic and with your teams. And also, if, if anyone is interested, any of your listeners are interested in having me come in and talk about the Harry Potter experience to your organization and, and what a small team can accomplish with a big goal, um, I'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. So uh, it was alansamuelcohen.com. I will have that link in the show notes on onenewperson.com, as always. And uh, any other resources that you want, I'll have the links there. You send me between now and then. It'll be at least two months before this is actually out there. And I'm pretty sure, as long as future me does this smartly, uh, I'm pretty sure your episode will be right after Tim's episode. So we'll just tag Tim right into the connection that we had and uh, that'll be great. So Fantastic. Well, thank you again to the six students sitting so quietly. We will let them get back to their day. Thank you then. And uh, Alan, I really appreciate this. What a pleasure. Thank you. Before you grab a stick from the yard and start yelling Wingardium Leviosa, here are a few takeaways from this episode. First, Take everything on social media with a grain of salt. Nobody's life is what it looks like on the internet. Think about all the ways you modify the truth before posting and realize everyone else is doing the same thing. Second, the most interesting person is the most interested person. If you want to make powerful connections in your personal or professional life, talk less and listen more. It's that simple. And finally, the fundamental quality of a leader is seeing and nurturing potential. Our first instinct isn't always right. People need time to come into their own and true leaders provide a trusting environment within which to do so. Head to alansamuelcohen.com for more about Alan's work as a speaker, workshop presenter, and executive coach. Check the show notes on onenewperson.com for related links, including Alan's book, The Connection Challenge, and ways to connect with him on social media. While you're there, consider subscribing to this podcast so you don't miss our bi-weekly interviews or my new bi-weekly five-minute solo episodes, which coincide with hashtag Thursday Thoughts. I'm Brian Miller. This is One New Person, and we'll see you next time.